Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. Hey folks, this is Daryl. Real quick, just before we get to the review, I just want to point out, if you are one of the people who listen to this podcast as soon as it comes out, you've got a little less than five hours to enter a contest that we started on a whim just to see uh, if anyone would enter a contest. It's been going for a week and we've got seven entries total so far. It is a giveaway for our Anime World Order Steam Group members. That's right, there is a Steam Group for Anime World Order, it is named, surprisingly enough, Anime World Order. If you use Steam, the PC digital distribution service, you can join that group. It is public and free to join. And we are doing a giveaway of a game. It's a pretty cheap game, but it's not a bad game. It's called Tokitori. And I just wanted to get an idea. We had like 124, 125 members of this group. We've never used it for anything to date so far. And so I just wanted to see how many of these people are real, how many of them are trolls. Almost all of them apparently are trolls. But if you hear this and it is not yet midnight on um, Friday, August 31st, 2012, uh, head on over to the group and see if you can enter that drawing uh, the winner will be picked at random, we don't choose it, and uh, I'll gift you that on Steam. Who knows, if we get enough people on that thing, maybe we might actually start, I don't know, setting up appointments to actually <laughs> play stuff together. Whatever, who knows. Anyway, here's the long-awaited review. We are back, and this time not with another three-month delay between episodes. And I have been promising our listeners this for a long time. This is Anime World Order, episode number 107B. Could be 108, but I'm going to call it 107B, because in 107A or 107.1 or whatever you want to call it, we did promise you a review of Unico which is what you're going to get this time. And, you know, because every episode could be somebody's first episode, I think it's appropriate that we do a very quick little introduction. Uh, my name is Gerald Rathkolb, and with me, as always, my good friends and co-hosts. Uh, I'm Clarissa. And I'm Daryl Surratt from Otaku USA Magazine. And so I have been promising this review since easily before Otakon, and I've been meaning to, to do it much sooner than this, but, you know, panels... 
usually ruin me. And since we've got AWA coming up in a couple of weeks as we record this, it's probably a good idea that we, you know, get that out of the way. Even though this AWA, we will not be killing ourselves with uh, all the panel work that we normally do there, because AWA is one of those conventions where when you do a lot of panels, you're actually kind of missing good stuff. And I don't like to do that. I like to see what is going on at AWA. Basic things aside, check out our website at www.animeworldorder.com. Email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com. So, yes, Unico. There's kind of an interesting thing about this podcast. There's one, like, weird company that you could almost align with this podcast. Like, we started this podcast right around when this company started, and I have a weird feeling that if this company ever dies, we will probably die with it. That company's name is Bandai Visual. <laughs> well, and ever since Bandai Visual died, we've never quite been the same. No, pretty much. But um, that company is a weird company called Discotech. They're kind of like us in that they have seemingly defied all reasonable logic by being an anime company that started as the anime bubble burst and decided to release things on disc, and also the stuff they have released is completely illogical stuff, yet somehow they have kept going. In fact, the very, very first review we ever did on this podcast was their release of Animal Treasure Island. Such a weird little company, because we kind of followed them, you know, since they were very sketchy dealers in local dealer rooms around here, selling nothing but bootlegs. And like everything in the anime industry, you have to kind of start out as a pirate, and then uh, go legit from there. I think that's not just the anime industry. That's like the whole internet. Like you have to start off like doing yeah. something shady, then make your money that way, and then go legit. Yep, worked for, well, I guess it worked initially for Napster. Well, actually, I don't know. Napster never really did make money, did they? I don't but, know, uh, but it just seems like everyone is following that that way of getting their audience in. You know, whether it's drawing people in through illegal music downloads or illegal video even uh, BitTorrent mm -hmm. has legal clients now. Yep, anime is definitely no exception. In fact, anime might be the poster child for it. Crunchyroll started out as a really shady website that just streamed other regular anime, and then they went legit, and many, many anime companies started out as either fan subbers or were founded by fan subbers or have fan subbers work for them. I guess Disco's Tech started out by selling bootlegs, and then went legit in a very interesting way. So they went ahead and seemingly against all logic licensed these interesting old school works. Most oftentimes they license material that has been licensed before, uh, like a very long time ago. Yeah, like a licensed rescue of something that yes. somebody else went and spent the money to translate, somebody else put up the funds to dub it already, such that all they really needed to do was renew an existing rights with whoever it is that owns the thing and then as part of the license get all that stuff again right they did that with project echo they did that with fist of the north star well i don't know if they included the dub but that was something that had been licensed before by manga entertainment and released terribly oh you're talking about like, the tv show yeah and the, the they, TV show, they also yeah. did the movie and they had previously gotten a, a dub of that but i guess their release was right, the first right. subtitled edition for those the tv or the movie I thought that that old DVD of the movie that was like $300 came with a Japanese cut, but maybe... No, it was dub only. Really? Oh, that, that, that was going back a long way, though. But yeah, and that is no exception for the 1981, well, I should say 1979, 81, and 
83 movies of Unico. With the exception of the 1979 one, which was a actually a pilot, a short, which I will get to. Fantastic Adventures of Unico came out in 1981 in Japan and was released in America in 1983. Unico and the Island of Magic came out in 1983 in Japan and was released in America in 1983. I actually don't know if they got theatrical releases, but I know that they got a heck of a lot of airplay on television. In Japan or in America? In America. On like Disney Channel? Yeah, that's Channel. how most people saw in, it. In fact, I'm actually surprised at the number of people that I meet at anime conventions who see like a Unico thing or Unico just comes up in a conversation and they say, oh yeah, I remember watching that when I was a kid. And in fact, I probably saw Unico on TV at some point because the name is not unfamiliar to me before these movies came out. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fascinating that one the movie exists because it's made by people who you typically wouldn't associate as making anime or making animation really in the modern age. Uh, Sanrio, the people who make Hello Kitty on the AnimeWorldOrder.com website, we've actually reviewed the, not all the other ones, but you know, other Sanrio animation projects back when they were still doing those. We did uh, Ringing Bell. And we did yep. Sea Prince and the Fire Child. And uh, at least the latter has been released by Discotech as well. But yeah, you wouldn't think people who made Hello Kitty and stuff uh, would work with uh, Osamu Tezuka, the god of manga and yep. you know, anime and such, who, but here we have it. Who I, I have not mentioned yet, but yes, this was created by Osamu Tezuka. Unico is based on a manga that Osamu Tezuka did from 1976 to 79. So right before it got animated, there was a manga. And there was actually recently a Kickstarter for the Unico manga, which reached its goal very quickly. It's kind of nice to know that you really don't need a Kickstarter for Osama Tezuka work because there is enough of an audience for it that pretty much anything you release that's Tezuka will, and th that is not like tremendously long, is probably going to at least make its money back like a little bit. They could have just said from the makers of Hello Kitty. Yes. And they would have had people on that one. You're right. Now, <clears throat> yeah, and uh, speaking of Sanrio, like, it's interesting that they don't make movies anymore because the stuff they made back then, and this was all early, early 80s and late 70s work, was pretty much all tremendously high quality and very good children's movies. And Unico is no exception. The story behind Unico, well, I should say like the meta story, and I don't know how reliable this is, but I did hear it from... One of the smartest people that exists in anime, and that is Rob Fenelon. So don't take this as absolute fact. According to Rob Fenelon, the story behind Unico is that Sanrio went to Tezuka and said, you know, we've got this very successful property, Hello Kitty. And in the late 70s, that was when Hello Kitty was just kind of like skyrocketing. In fact, I think I've got some stuff that my sister had from back then. They said, you know, we need another thing to add to this. And so Tezuka came up with this Unico character, which is a baby unicorn with a uh, human face, which doesn't yeah, bother me. Yeah, with a me. horrifying, like, <laughs> mostly human head perched on top of its tiny, stubby unicorn body. For some reason, this didn't bother me. But when I mentioned it to other people, obviously besides you, Clarissa, like, a lot of people were saying, God, that face, that, that face was so terrifying. But yeah, it's a baby unicorn. Like, what could be more Sanrio than, like, a baby unicorn whose job it is is to make all people and creatures happy? Apparently, this was even too saccharine for Sanrio. Case in point, what was the last Unico thing that you saw? What was the most recent Unico thing 
that's been made. And from what I can yeah, they basically don't really trot out Unico that much. No. I and mean, you may see him in some murals, or you might see like, him that have like Tezuka's body of work in them. And then, oh, there's Unico. Yes, mm-hmm. that's kind of how you see Unico right. nowadays. Like, you'll you'll see him like I, I believe he was in. Um, he's very much like the other. Tezuka characters and that he'll just show up here and there, but never is like a big thing. But yes, the idea behind Unicorn is that, <laughs> well, this little baby unicorn was born, and this unicorn was born with the ability to make people happy. And of course, because. Which apparently is a terrible thing. Yeah, because <laughs> the gods in this world are dicks, they say. No. What is our response to this? We have to kill Unico. So they gave this job to the West Wind. The West Wind's job was to pick up Unico, take Unico away, and just kill it. Literally, the force of nature, a a wind that blows across the world, that is who the gods have tasked to basically wreck Unico's life or, you know, brainwipe him or what have you. Yes. Time and again. I mean, the West Wind is actually like, I don't know. Yeah, it's not just a sting song about fields of gold here. (laughs) No, the West Wind is actually, like, personified as uh, a, a beautiful lady. This lady is actually, you know, kind-hearted enough to not kill Unico. What she'll do is take Unico to some place in which Unico's, you know, adventure will, will happen. As soon as the gods, you know, find out about this, and they find out about it because somebody becomes happy because of Unico. Yeah, too much yes. happiness happens, so the gods are like, Hey, what the hell's going on? We're trying to, like, keep things shitty down here. What the? What? Unico? Yep. God damn it! Fucking our plans up again! Get him so, out of here! And so they send the East Wind after after Unico, and the East Wind is uh, kind of like the misfits to you know Gem and the Holograms, and <laughs> the East Wind you know is out there actually to kill Unico, and the West Wind's like, no, I'm not going to have this. So what she does is she wipes Unico's memory and takes Unico away to another location. And yeah, basically, they just hit the reset button. Yes. It actually would work Like, now very... we can tell the exact same story again with different people. Yes, pretty much. That is kind of the basis of Unico. Yeah, I mean, it's a kid's thing, you know. That's the way those stuff, those things usually work. You gotta consider the manga roots of this thing, where it's obviously for very young children. Yeah, so there's not really a continuity if you do this sort of gimmick. Each chapter mm-hmm. or whatever can be the only Unico story you've ever read, or the first one you've ever read because it starts anew but it also when you start reading these things or watching the anime as case may be and you see that like continued results of it happening it just is really dark and depressing in its own way <laughs> a lot of those works were because unico doesn't get to say goodbye to anybody no as soon as unico starts to yeah, you know to really go. become a friend to this person then there he's whisked away so unico can never actually be happy just everyone else around Unico can be happy. Except that and, they're uh, all miserable, too, when he leaves. But it's, and, yes. So, so, yeah, it's like a children's, a cute children's series where the ultimate ending is everyone is now miserable. <laughs> yes, it's very Japanese. <laughs> yes, right. ver- very much so. Well, less uh, gory. <laughs> that's true. It's very classic <laughs> fairy tale. And then later on, you know, sewing them up and pouring the blood back into their bodies and such. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure that I'm was sure there. I'm sure the unicorn but, uh, horn was gorn maidens left yes. and right in the original I draft. Mean, very clearly, this was something that would work perfectly as a television series. And so in 1979, they did make a pilot for this, a short pilot. It's about like 30, 40 minutes or so. Because Discotech is freaking awesome, this pilot is on the DVDs. 
and it's never been released in America or in English. Yeah, it was only ever released if you had a fan sub, yeah. you could track that down because the Japanese included yeah. it. And so uh, Discotech really uh, was cool to put that on here because it had never been done before. They actually would have required work. Yeah, they didn't really have to, and I mean, they uh, it would have just been assumed like, oh, that's too difficult to get, or whatever, or they don't have the, the elements of it. or But no, they, they included it, and it's on there, and it's awesome. And if you ever consider buying these DVDs based on my review, you know, watch that pilot. Now, the animation in the movies is really good, and the pilot animation is even better. I didn't get to look at the pilot credits in detail, but they must have gotten like a really, really good group of animators for that pilot episode. Anyway, yes, the Unico movies are there's two separate movies, The Fantastic Adventures of Unico, which is, you know, the origin story, you as know, it were, whatever little there is, as it were, right? And then Unico in the Island of Magic, which is the freaking terrifying movie. Both of them are done by Madhouse. So the staff that worked on this is pretty incredible. The animation director and I believe the storyboarder, certainly the animation director was Yoshiaki Kawajiri. Yeah, I asked him and, uh, about it. Turns out that some of the particularly nightmarish and fucked up stuff in the second movie, that was all him. Oh, no, why am I, I not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, I can't have any chicks getting raped in this, so I can at least have a horrifying castle built out of people that have been turned into <laughs> dolls. It's Hideyuki Kikuchi who <laughs> is all about the chicks getting raped and stuff. Kawajiri is all like, yeah, I come up with the scenario of, like, you know, ruining children. But you have to also remember, Madhouse and Kawajiri have a history of adapting yeah. Tezuka stuff. I yeah. mean, they did do the Phoenix yes. OAVs in the 80s also. And some of the best adaptations of Phoenix were the ones that Kawajiri did that have never yeah. been released in America officially, which is unfortunate. So if you're, you know, a fan of anime, just like the animation art, these movies have definitely got a lot to offer, just even at that level. For example, the background art, a lot of it was done by Hiromasa Ogura, who, in my opinion, he's the greatest background artist in anime today. He worked on Ghost in the Shell, he's worked on Pat Labor, a lot of Mamoru Oshii work. So there is just an incredible group of people like working on this just in general. And it shows in the animation. The animation is really beautiful. The backgrounds are gorgeous. It's surprisingly fluid. Like, I guess they might have been making this with the intention of releasing it worldwide. And this was like, this is one property that is surprisingly well known around the world. I guess something that's pretty easy to adapt. Nothing in it is terribly Japanese except for, you know, the concept of never being happy ever. But that's also, you know, could be called a European thing, too. The first movie itself is basically kind of like two separate stories, like two episodes mm -hmm. of the show. If it were a show. If it were, yes. The first part involves this, you know, dick of a, of a demon. The second part involves this... Uh, the Adventures of the Cat Girl and Count Date Rape. Yes, sums it up perfectly. I swear, I swear that that cat, there's a cat that is like a friend to Unico in the second part. The cat's name is Chow, and I really thought that that was like a staple Sanrio character, because it just looked so much like something that I thought I'd seen in Sanrio, but it's not. It was something that I believe was created for the movie. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure there are Sanrio fans that can tell me otherwise. Yeah, we're just going to have to call this episode Unico and the Adventures of Cat Girl and Count Date Rape. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen that cat as a, a Sanrio character on anything before, but she kind right. of looks a little bit like that flying cat thing that hangs out with Yamcha in Dragon Ball. Yes, yes, it does. Flar? Very much so. Yes. 
I could never remember its name. Right, except I guess it's got an upside-down bow and sings about itself all the time. And the second movie, the Unico and the Island of Magic, is one long story. Not split into two parts and is a lot bigger in scope and significantly, significantly darker. I think it's a lot better. Yeah, I definitely do agree that the second movie is better than the first one because of that structural difference and also the slight tonal shift. The second one, again, like uh, the the story behind it is, you know, Unico's dropped off here and instantly Unico is accosted by just terrible, terrible people in this forest, including a cat that looks pretty much like Heathcliff. (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, like uh, the shitty, shitty cat. And, and Heathcliff uh, was already a cheap ripoff of Garfield. Yeah. Yeah, We were, the whole time we were just like, God damn it, Heathcliff, what the fuck are you doing? Along the way, uh, this character appears, Toby, who is uh, under the control of a... Uh, don't say LeVar Burton. Uh, no, I was... <laughs> well, I was going to say wizard, and which is... The you know, best no, wizard. The best wizard, yeah, <laughs> under the control of a wizard. To uh, basically turn... By best, every- I mean most horrifying. Yes. And... Uh, <laughs> He's tasked with turning everybody in the, into the world into these dolls in order to help this wizard build his castle. Right, because obviously, what are you going to build your castle out Human of? Human-shaped Tetris right. blocks. I mean, this is clearly the most logical building Exactly, material. and so this entire enormous structure is just built on people. But it's, it's tough to hate Toby because he has a sweet-ass uh, flying bike trunk. Well, he seems to be able to, like, turn things into... Fucking awesome things? Hover bikes. I think that's th- that's the technical term. <laughs> so, like, he turns a log into, like, a hover bike and zooms around yes. on it. And then I think later he uses something different, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, and, I mean, it's pretty it's but, pretty yeah. obvious that Kawajiri was... Which, that, is a, that is a power I would like. Hey, this thing, and now it's a motorcycle. A flying an, motorcycle. An awesome motorcycle, yeah. And it's pretty obvious that Kawajiri was working on this, because if you watch... Not that anyone will watch it, but if you watch Lensman, a lot of the animation... Why wouldn't you? Uh, a... That movie's terrible, but I like it anyway. Yeah, I love that movie. But a lot of that, like the animation that uh, they were using of like Toby on the on the air cycle was was used in the, towards the end of the Lensman movie. It's very, very similar animation. Oh, I thought um, you were trying to say that it was literally unused Lensman footage <laughs> used in Unico. Just put a, like a different background on it. <laughs> I'm not saying that is because I haven't overlaid the footage, but it could be because it is that similar in look. But yeah, along the way, Unico finds who is very obviously Toby's family that Toby is then forced by his own hand to turn into these building blocks again, except for his sister. Through this, they're then taken to this terrifying horrifying island of magic with this castle that is like i said built on people now imagine watching this when you are like five which is how most people saw unico in america also the castle has the best guard which is just this giant derpy looking toy dragon yes which is and it's hilarious and it's awesome which is incredibly effective at firing and destroying things. I'm surprised at yes. how much destruction is in this movie. <laughs> and then you remember, like, wait, this castle is all people, so are yes. all those people dead now <laughs> as the castle is exploding? <laughs> I guess when you're five, you watch this, and either you're incredibly disturbed by it, or you don't think about it enough to make it disturb you. I just remember most anecdotes of Unico are that they saw it as a kid, and it freaked them out. 
<laughs> I can see that, yeah. More or less kids than the, the ending to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I think Who Framed Roger Rabbit is weird, but the whole movie is incredibly weird. That, yeah. you know, it's true that seeing Judge Reinhold's face, you know, get peeled off or whatever it was that happened at the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit is certainly a nightmare unto its own. But Unico is a much more concentrated form of power because it's on TV in your home where it's safe <laughs> as opposed to, you know, going yep. out into the dark theaters. Which you can leave, yes. So You're right. <laughs> and and that is the gist of Unico. There's not a whole lot of plot to it. It's basically, like we said, very simple kid story that's largely remembered primarily for its really breathtaking animation. I mean, it's, as you said, completely off the chain, <laughs> as it were. Um, but also because it's dubbed very well. I mean, you wouldn't easily tell that this is a cartoon from Japan based on how it looks and the way it was presented. And even, in fact, the DVDs that Discotech released, if I'm not mistaken, those are dub only, right? No, they're dub and sub. For some reason, I was thinking it was dub only. No, Discotech is an awesome company, so they released a sub and a dub, and this, it is not dub titled. And the dub was done in the early 80s, and so it has a lot of those people there. I be, like uh, Barbara Goodson is Unico, and Barbara Goodson is an old staple of anime voice acting. Most people who know Barbara Goodson's voice know her because she's Rita Repulsa from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh, yep. okay. But she has been in virtually everything. I mean, from yeah, Robotech. She's like and... a streamlined inner sound, every voice. And then like when they did like New Adventures of Gigantor, mm -hmm. which was entirely voiced by four people. Yep. She was one of the four people. Oh, like how Voltron, she... they had like six people to do all the voices. I like how you can tell which female characters are obviously voiced by a man also. <laughs> and in case you play video games, she plays Laharl in Disgaea mm. and... She's in World of Warcraft, so she's still working today. She's still awesome. And yeah, her voice, you can easily pick it out once you know that's Barbara Goodson. Right. Once once you attach the name to the voice, it's very obvious. And so the, the voice acting is top-notch. I guess my only complaint, an incredibly minor complaint, is that it would have been nice if Discotech could have just sold this as one set. That you wouldn't have to buy one Unico movie and then the other one that you could just mm. buy. Here's all the Unico. Exactly. I'm glad that I own both of them, and I go probably against the fray in that I enjoy the second movie more, but I do enjoy the first movie a lot. Both the movies are definitely worth watching, and I'm not really meaning it from like, oh, this is worth watching from like, you know, a historical perspective. You won't actually enjoy it, but you know, as an anime buff, you should watch this. No, I think that these are actually authentically entertaining. Would you show these to kids today? Hell, yes, I would. Yeah, I would. You gotta teach those kids that, you know, to look out for what buildings are made out of. <laughs> well, I'll watch this and then I'll watch Gravity Falls with them. And so they'll get lifted up afterwards. These are totally worth owning, both of them. It is super cool for Discotech to include the pilot episode. The pilot episode is, could have been just like any episode of the TV series. There's no introduction or anything. It's just a location and Unico shows up again. Again, if were a TV show to actually exist for Unico, which it does not. Exactly. If you have kids, then congratulations, you had sex. And congratulations, you can watch this with them. Oh, as a side note, a lot of places credit Osamu Tezuka with directing one of the movies. No, that probably never happened. No, no, he, he wasn't. He didn't direct this. He just did the original manga, and I believe he did some planning for it. So he is not, he's not the director of it at all. There was just a lot of misinformation about Unico for many, many years mm -hmm. because this is one of those things that 
people really coveted and it did get released on VHS and for a long time having that VHS a Unico was a, a prized commodity thing to have. Uh, you could trade that for a lot of things. You could make copies of that and get, you know, virtually whatever you wanted because, you know, you had Unico. Now, the story I heard behind that was the reason for that was they only released the VHS as a rental copy. So you had to pay like 80 bucks to get that copy. That's correct. Because for a long, long time, you know, there wasn't really the concept of people owning movies themselves, especially in the VHS era, even yeah. throughout, not even until the mid nineties, you know, was the notion of people buying a tape for a mere $30. Right. You know, we're talking the only people who would ever buy VHS tapes to own were video rental stores. It wasn't uncommon for videotapes to cost 80 to a hundred dollars because, mm -hmm. Hey, you're going to make that money back from multiple rentals of the thing. Right. Yeah, I believe that was the only way you could get Unico for a while, so it was up to your local video store to have it. And up to you to rent it and steal it. Yes. And to Because yep. two VCRs was rare. Yes. So you'd have to just steal that thing. And so, yep, this was hard to come by for a long, long time. And so I'm I'm glad that Discotech decided to release it. I'm I'm curious how this came to them and how they uh like decided to release this. I'm guessing it was sort of like cheap? I don't know if it was cheap. I think it was just like, you know, it would have had to have been cheap. Yeah. But I mean, they, they like struck a deal with Toei for like a lot of that old stuff, like Animal Treasure Island and, yeah. you know, Taro the Dragon Boy and all that other stuff that we reviewed. Fist of the, was Fist of the North Star yep. Toei? Toei Animation had yep. that and Galaxy Express and all that other stuff, mm -hmm. which they still, you know, have a good working relationship with Toei. And then at some point they got Sea Prince and the Fire Child, which is, um, you know, the other Sanrio thing. And I guess it kind of went from there that once you do one, you can get in touch with them over another one. Yeah. I mean, once you establish that initial relationship and have the contract written, then, you know, you just change out the name on the contract and then everyone's happy. Mm -hmm. Have we done a review of Sea Prince and the Fire Child? I don't think so. We totally did. Oh. Yeah, I, I you reviewed did it, Daryl, it uh, right? way back when. Yeah. Yep, okay. It was me. Again, if you go back to the review index, you can see uh, we did do reviews of uh, many of the things we've been name dropping throughout this review, including Lensman. You know, it's weird yep. because somehow I completely missed all of those movies. Growing up? Yeah, like I never saw Unico. I never saw Sea Prince and the Fire Child. I never had the Disney Channel. The Disney Channel used to be a pay channel like HBO, and I never had the Disney Channel, and that's why I missed... Oh, uh, maybe that's why. Yeah, maybe that's why. I know that a lot of it was just that a lot of these things were kind of filler because this was, you know, early ages of cable TV. And you just need something to fill time. Yep. And anime mm -hmm. was that thing because it didn't really have a value. It was often cheaper to license an existing show than make your own show. If Canada made a show, you could get like David the Gnome or whatever on your TV. You can't do that on television. All Turkey TV, all that stuff was... This is Nickelodeon I'm talking about now, not Disney, but it's just the point of early days of cable and you have to fill all those hours of time. What do you fill it with if you're a small TV station? Oh, mm -hmm. well, you just license stuff that's been made from all around the world. And there was no concept of, oh, we're going to, you know, put this out on video later. So we need to own the rights to it and make it ourselves. Right. So. Yeah. Nobody ever assumed so, yeah. that that would be like a thing. Yeah. It was just broadcast. We have this much time to fill, and we need to fill it any way we can, so we're going to show episodes of I Love Lucy and Inspector Gadget we're going to play endlessly for years and years and years. 
So and I'd watch it mm-hmm. every time for years and years and years. Yep. Yeah, it's like I remember when MTV was very early in. Like they they had so few music videos, and they just played them over and over, and then. They, you know, sometimes run just weird stuff to fill time. Oh, yeah. Remote control and they mm-hmm. had MTV. That's the only news. way I know how Ken Ober existed and I felt sad when he died because Holly hosted remote control. He died? <laughs> oh, no, I'm sad. I didn't know that. That is Unico in a nutshell. I think both of them are totally worth the purchase. It, it is a shame that uh, they aren't just included in kind of one package together. Yeah. But both of them, in my opinion, are perfectly enjoyable if you have young children this is a perfect way to <laughs> try to interrupt their time with some of the real crap that they're watching with some terrifying stuff and stuff to give them nightmares. I don't have any nostalgia for Unico because, like I said, I never saw the, the movie mm-hmm. when it used to air on TV. So, you know, it's a little weird sometimes. I watch and read kids' entertainment, so I'm not necessarily opposed to that. But sometimes it's weird when you don't have nostalgia about it. And so I didn't really like the first movie, but I think the big reason for that was that I didn't like the first half of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't care at all about that segment with the demon kid. Like, it was totally boring to me. And so, I kind of liked the second half okay, but at that point, I was so sick of it because of having to sit through that entire first half that it kind of dampened my enjoyment, even of that portion. The second one was a lot more enjoyable, I thought. You're so cruel, Clarissa. I know. Also, yeah, Unico's a little weird looking. I, I don't find the designs actually that cute. So. I think Unico's very cute, but I also do not necessarily echo the general thoughts or feelings about Unico. I can um, sympathize with the terrifying human face on the animal body, because we did see the exact same thing in Ringing Bell for some of those shots, which is also a Sanrio production, which is also about a cute little animal um, you know, traumatized. You can go back to our review of that. But yeah, I never mm-hmm. saw Unico growing up. I only saw it probably when I was in my 20s, which is like, you know, a decade and change ago. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people, you know, this was a childhood thing. And so it's sort of recapturing that. And I don't have that perspective on it, unfortunately. I am interested in reading the manga. I did uh, pre-order it and it's a full color manga, which is uncommon. Very uncommon. I mean, it was it was in Sanrio's magazine and Sanrio rules half of Japan. So I guess they so have they the, have money, the for money for the color. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, in, in that sense, it might actually be a, a good like that book, you know, might be good to get kids, except, you know, it's, it's kind of expensive. It's like a hardcover $35 book when it comes out uh, from DMP, mm-hmm. but it, it is out there and it will be sold on Amazon and such. The movies, you can get both of them for about $30, $40 total. Uh, yeah, I think I got mine for about $15 each. Um, yeah, so that's $30. Yeah. And so it's it's not a big investment. Each movie isn't very long. It's like a 90 minutes, an hour, and not like... Yeah, you can watch both of these movies in less time than it takes to watch Welcome to the Space Show. Yeah, so... which, you know, can do a lot of <laughs> okay, things in not. less time than it takes to, <laughs> to watch that movie. Yeah, I don't know. I can't really find a lot of negatives. I'm glad Clarissa is here because uh, I would probably be a bit more positive about the first movie otherwise, and that's probably not what most people would come away with. And that demon in the beginning was a real dick for no... He's no a demon! Good that's true. I mean, that's his job. And it does have a, a really awesome impaling. Like, you do not see enough kids' movies that have got really graphic impalings with blood and everything. Yeah, usually it's in shadow. Usually they wuss out. 
Yeah, it's just like, oh, cut to the guy's legs as he is hanged or something like that. No, this is on the screen, through the back, out the stomach, impaling. Yep, the Jeff Johns, Joss Whedon shot of mm-hmm. choice is uh, <laughs> totally rocking it in, uh, in yep. Unico. For kids. For kids, exactly. Not just for kids, like celebrity home video, but close <laughs> enough. <laughs> Hi, I'm Noel. Adjust the tracking on your VCR. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you guys were too cheap to use decent. How do you video remember cassettes. these things? I remember them very well. What the core of this podcast is about <laughs> is answering the question. How do we remember these things? I believe I did watch Unico at some point, but it left no memory with me. Not to say that hmm. I didn't like it as a kid, but I think it was one of those things where I probably caught like bits and pieces of it. It's very much like when as a kid, like when you wanted to watch like Okay, this is probably an experience nobody else had, but HBO used to run the Charlie Brown movies, and they used to run them regularly, oh, and you yeah. could never, ever catch it from mm-hmm. the beginning. It was... Right, it was always like you, some weird, in media res, you know, Snoopy come home, and then you feel like, you know, slitting your wrists, because Snoopy come home is really yes. depressing. <laughs> yeah. And you can never remember, like, what Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back is about, you know, other than, right. like, a house catching on fire or something like that. <laughs> It was just the way it worked out. So yeah, that's the one where it goes to France, right? Yeah, yes, that's uh, that's a really good one. Uh, right. I love yeah, all those Charlie Brown. Race yeah. for Your Life, like Charlie that. Brown, and such. But yeah, they kept, that was another one. They kept making specials for that, and eventually people just stopped caring. But yeah, those were things that were on also to fill time, and Unico was another such thing. And so yeah, you might just have tuned in and caught Unico like a random thing of it. It's like, what the hell is this? Yeah, it's just like, this is this is weird. It doesn't really look like anything I've ever seen before, so I'm, I'm not too sure what to think of it. And so uh, it probably would have left more of an impression if I had a video store that had one of those VHS tapes and my parents would have let me rent it. Mm-hmm. it took me a long time to ever catch one of those full Charlie Brown movies, now that I think about it. That was a, a really special day, too. I think that was the same thing with Unico, was that until I got to see it beginning to end, it I was like, oh, yes, now I remember this particular scene from it from when I was a little kid or something. Yeah, I, I think there were a couple anime movies that used to run on sci-fi that it was like that for me. Like, I'd always catch, like, just pieces of it, and I'd never see the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Like when they would have the Memorial Day marathons or their Saturday anime or... Mm-hmm. The weekly yeah. things prior to Saturday anime. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. Yes, but at that point, I had my own VCR and was setting the VCR. But yeah, it's yeah. definitely yeah. Like easy. I think Eight Man After was like that. Like I'd only ever catch part. It of was it. years before I realized like just how edited Eight Man After was when they ran it on Sci-Fi <laughs> Channel. Like because I first saw it on the Sci-Fi Channel, and then it, like yeah. eventually at some point, a lot of the things that were on Sci-Fi Channel would get run uncut on Showtime, mm-hmm. and that's when you'd see like, oh, okay. A revelation, they'd be like, oh, yeah, like you wouldn't know that, you know, Ape Man ripped that guy's arm off or what have you. Or the, the yeah. running over the things in Dominion, you know, caused a giant penis to shoot up. It's like, oh, okay. Ape Man After was hilarious because I remember scenes where a person was shot, uh, a guy was shot in front of the main character and then blood splashed on his eyes. And then this was like in the middle of the show. And then they would flash the TV rating of it up. Just to remind people that, you know, this is a cartoon, but, you know, it's not necessarily, like, little kids' material. You wouldn't see the bouncing breast animation. (laughs) I forgot about that. I think the most notorious editing, now that we're on the subject and I'll never be able to bring it up again, and the most hilarious editing was the Fatal Fury movie. Whenever Mai was on screen, there was a giant blurred box all over her (laughs) entire body. (laughs) 
Yeah, not just the shower scene or anything like that. It was just the existence of my Shiranui on the Sci-Fi Channel was too hot for them to handle. Just her outfit, actually, I guess, revealed too much skin. For me, the worst one was just how they showed the Galaxy Express 3.9 movies, because to fit it in their block, they cut an hour out of the film. Oh, right. Well, also, those movies yeah. have got... Those movies have got a really shitty dub. Well, yeah, it's also a poor dubbing. But yeah, I mean, I was looking in the TV guide and it's like, Galaxy Express 3.9, one star. And it's like, what? Are you kidding me? Because at this point, I'd been able to rent uh, VHS tapes. But then I, like, I see like running time, whatever, with commercials. And it's like, how can that possibly be if the movie is this? Oh, it's because they just cut huge portions of the film out. Because those mm-hmm. movies were like two hours long, and then if you want to run it with commercials, then that's like three-hour blocks that you have to just block out, and they're not going to do it that. It makes me wonder why they even pick it, or why was it even shopped to them, but who knows? You know, it's right. weird TV programming stuff that, you know, is the type of decisions that get things like Unico on American television. Exactly. And so, you know, to bring it back again, yes, Unico, I guess if you did watch this on TV then, you know, you have that nostalgia factor and you should pick it up. And if you never watched it on TV, like several of us, it's still worth picking up because they are genuinely good movies. I actually want to hear from both crowds. I want to hear, like, in the comments on our website of the people who, how you saw Unico, if you saw it as a kid or, you know, whenever, if you saw it back when it was on TV, versus the people who had maybe only heard of Unico through its rep and then saw it later. And maybe even if there's people who are, Seeing Unico for the first time, thanks to Discotech, you know, there's got to be somebody. I uh, kind of want to see, like, what the perceptions are, if uh, if there's a synergy or if there's, like, a, a divisiveness, yeah. depending on how you were exposed to this first. And when you get this, just get both discs. Just pretend it's one release. No real reason not to get the first movie and the second movie. Which disc has the pilot on it? I believe it is the second movie. I've got the discs right here, and so it'll take me one second to check. And yep, it's on the second movie, pilot film. Yeah, let us know like how you watched it, and also you know which one you liked more. I'm pretty sure most adults will probably like the the second movie, and if you've got any children with you, they probably will like the first movie. That's just my my guess. But uh, let us know. Check it out. Leave us a comment to uh, let us know more details. Show. 